Today on How Now, Dahlia Ishak joins us to share her story of rolling with the gut punch of this prolonged emergency. She has held many roles from an entrepreneur, graphic designer, art director, and consultant. She tells us about the challenge of starting and operating her one-of-a-kind cafe called The Rabbit Hole in Brisbane, Australia which combined her two loves, cafe culture and co-working. We also discuss how Salty came to be, the challenges of finding a location, the early days of operation, and the pivot to Salty General Store. Finally, we go over her inspirational project, Totes Together, an initiative to help businesses through the pandemic. We hope you like it. Here's Dahlia. It's lovely to virtually meet you, Dahlia. Welcome to How Now. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I wonder if you could take us back to the beginning. What led you to the path that took you to where you are today? How did you get going? Yeah, uh, my background is in design. So I did start, uh, I, I am Canadian and went to to school around these areas. Like uh, I went to a school in London, Ontario, and then to Sheridan and OCAD, uh, and eventually went on an exchange program to Australia and ended up graduating there and getting hired to stay in Australia. And that's kind of how I ended up there. And basically working in Australia kind of opened my eyes to the coffee culture there. They have a pretty incredible, um, really dedicated, really rich specialty coffee culture in that, you know, so much time is spent in cafes as, as they are here, but you know, the care that's put into the product and, you know, the, the baristas and the owners are kind of in it as career jobs. And there's just so much passion behind it and fell in love with that industry really and lifestyle living in Australia. So kind of over time just started to veer towards the cafe style life just because it was a big part of my life living in Australia and I was working in advertising at the time so we would often go kind of meet at cafes or get out of the office at a cafe and I don't know I just really fell in love with what coffee shops provide. Yvonne's partners in advertising. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) there's connection here too. Yeah so my background is advertising for the entire kind of I was sponsored to stay in Australia, like at an ad agency. And that's how I got to stay. And my first like eight years in Australia, I worked in advertising. So, right. Wow. And then did you do sort of back and forth between Oz and Canada or did you just go there and stay there once you, I went and stayed mostly because working in advertising, especially at the age I was at was pretty intense and there wasn't a lot of time off or afforded to do much else and because you know I loved being there and uh so really I was living there you know pretty permanently like that was my life and it was hard to kind of get away to do trips Mm. to come to Canada so I'd probably come every maybe two or three years for like a couple weeks yeah. strange isn't it when you come back and you're you don't realize how much you've adjusted to another yeah. culture and then you come back and you don't you feel like a fish out of water in your own completely country. completely I actually yeah I had a hard I was in Australia for 10 years so I had a pretty interesting readjustment coming back especially because 
the last time I was in Canada, I was much younger. And I guess like living as a younger person and coming back as an adult, uh, you kind of see it through a fresh lens also of, you know, just, it does feel like a totally new place, like all the different regulations of things, especially as a business owner, it was kind of restarting and relearning everything, relearning the rules here. So it was an adjustment, even though I am Canadian. What years were you in Australia for? I went out when I was, I think it was 2006. Okay. Um, right, right. What year is it now? 2020? <laughs> uh, Nobody knows. Hamilton, <laughs> like three or four years ago. So, yeah, so you yeah. like a good 10, 11 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah I got my citizenship, so uh, my... I am hard oh, Aussie now. Oh, awesome! Good <laughs> day. Do you want to do you want to move that. back there eventually, or? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I honestly like I, I loved it. Uh, my husband's Australian, and my son was born in Australia, so oh, okay. it was nice to have that. Just you know, for them, you even. can always go if you want to. Yeah, we did the similar thing. I I I was I'm from England originally. Came here as a kid, but I went back as an adult. And a young adult just finished out, out of university, went back there, and I lived away for 17 years. And when I moved back, I, I just I had two kids that were born over there. I'd lived over there for all of my adult life, really. Yeah. And yeah. back was really tough because you don't know how to do anything here. Yeah. It's completely different. And no one will let you do anything. It's yeah. so different. It was it was very hard to very adjust. Different. My first year in Hamilton um was very difficult. Uh, just getting adjusted, meeting people, uh, having a child. I mean, that was a large reason why we came here very much actively looking to, we had a, the cafe in Australia. We came here very much looking to do something here, but it did take us a while to find uh, the opportunity. But we were really conscious that we were looking for a cafe also to kind of meet people and like make it yeah, our that's home, a good idea. make it part of our life and get to be part of a community that we live in. Cause otherwise, yeah, when I first arrived, I was actually just spending all my time at all the other amazing Hamilton cafes, kind of meeting mm. the people there. The um, scene was kind of just popping at that point. Yeah. 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 It, so you, you found it salty in, in 2017, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't remember the exact years. I'm pretty bad with years, but, um, we're in our third year. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about originally? Uh, it actually was unplanned. Uh, we came here looking for like consciously wanting to open something here and we were having trouble finding avenues through just what was available for lease at the time. And, you know, a lot of the buildings seemed to be kind of bookmarked for other things, even though they were mm-hmm. still for rent. And, you know, we, we didn't really know anybody and it was, we found it kind of hard to actually get going. Um, and then a friend had told me that the cafe that was there prior to salty called Pinecone. Um, they I had told me it, had, it was up for sale. Uh, so I had, I went in and asked about it and it turns out that like that sale had already happened about seven months earlier. So it was actually the new owners that were running it. Um, and yeah, so the baristas were just telling me it was new owners. Uh, it had already sold and you know, I was like, Oh, um, you know, is there any way to get their details just to reach out if, 
mm-hmm. they ever wanted to sell in the future or if they had been looking at other places that maybe we could inquire about um, seeing as they bought a cafe and that's kind of what we were interested in. And we eventually got a hold of the owners, showed our interest, and then they basically sold it to us. So it was okay. not, it wasn't in, like planned. It just worked out. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. So we so, bought Pinecone at the time. And then you and then you flipped it into a new brand and that's yeah. that's kind of where yeah. So they were they were they were wanting to get out of it or were willing to get out of it. It was, you know, really different. They they weren't running it as owner operators. They both had other jobs, so they were kind of struggling a bit to mm. be as hands-on as yeah. you know, required to make something like that kind of work and you know maybe without realizing it, they just saw it as a good way to pass it forward to people that would, you know, be mm-hmm. there and want to yeah. kind of really turn it into something. And oh, it's it, a great, it's yeah. a great little space. It's yeah. not, it's not huge. Like for, yeah. for anybody that doesn't uh, know, know the space itself, it's, it's maybe like 20, 20 person cap in non COVID times. Yeah. And I mean, that's, <laughs> That's like the maximum, maximum we could probably fit in there. It is yeah. very small. We always saw it as like a, not like a starting cafe. Like we, we love it. We love the size. We love the neighborhood. But I mean, it mm-hmm. is physically small. Like we were reaching a point pre-COVID that we were very clearly capped on yeah, yeah. being mm-hmm. so small. I remember that. Yeah. I, <laughs> we basically I, had I, people like constantly waiting in my studio next door and oh yeah <laughs> uh, it was like we were we we're yeah we hit a point where the size was an obstacle for sure but yeah anyway. i used to i used to live in corktown for uh, numerous years so i i saw it kind of go through the whole phase of of change and that's pretty cool um yeah. i was i was curious if there was any challenges uh, that you faced as you started it and then going forward (laughs) but beside you know the obvious pandemic now but uh yeah honestly the sale the sale was very stressful we had never bought a business before um the cafes we owned in australia we had built ourselves so it was like a really stressful nerve-wracking experience there's like a lot of things that didn't end up being that smooth And a lot of things where when you're buying somebody else's business, you know, it's not necessarily set up the way you might've done it. So there's a lot of like readjusting to the way things are, because that's what it has to be like both in the layout, in, you know, like the electrical, in parameters of things, in... Until you can get it sorted and and dealt with yourself. You know, we, we were meant to not be closed at all and just kind of flip it over the weekend in terms of just adding the kitchen. My husband's a really talented cook and we wanted to add that Australian component of most of the cafes have, uh, the food and coffee. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, this, the space itself, the kitchen's pretty tiny from what I remember. Yeah. So that, that it was hard because it wasn't necessarily set up for that. You've kind of bought 
the bones of something that you didn't get to plan or design. And then you're like trying to make shift around it while right. still staying <laughs> open, uh, which was really, really difficult because we hit a lot of walls. And then we also hit a lot of walls in that people were not very receptive of us when we first opened. They thought mm. we had like pushed pinecone out. We were getting a lot of pushback for switching Interesting. pinecone or like killing pinecone, even though like the original owner of pinecone a lovely girl from Vancouver who we got to know really well. I actually got to know cause she's a designer as well before. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she had opened the cafe and she had like herself decided that cafe life wasn't for her and didn't want to run Pinecone anymore. And that's why she mm-hmm. sold it to the second owners. And then the second owners weren't running it at all. <laughs> and, you know, we were like the owners that wanted to come in and actually turn the space yeah, into yeah. an owner operated community space. Uh, even though they Pine, yeah, even though the original pinecone was very much that, uh, the owner at that time, after about a year or however long, just wanted to do other things. And we were very genuinely coming in to make it a place that could continue to have that heartbeat. But people kind of saw it as we were just like coming in and pushing them out and mm. that we weren't authentic, maybe. And yeah, we had we actually had quite it was really stressful. We had a lot of pushback. But um that's, we that's were very tough. lucky that the staff stayed with us and the familiarity of having them and they were absolutely so amazing uh really helped the transition. Awesome. But it was Good. you know for seeing how far salty's come in terms of like feeling like a neighborhood spot yeah uh, people didn't <laughs> feel that when we first got there <laughs> wow wow I, did, I had no honestly i had no clue so yeah that's really yeah. interesting with you and your partner was it kind of a hard dynamic to get your head around working together uh no we were lucky we worked together in australia at our at the co-work cafes that we were oh, okay yeah so we had been working together already for about four years Yeah, no, I think it actually works because we operate totally different sides of the businesses. He runs the kitchens and he ran the kitchens there. And I have nothing, nothing to do with the food other than like general feedback. And that's basically it. Like I don't do the ordering for the food. I don't come up with the menus. That's all his realm. And then I do all the front of house, our service style, all the admin, um, all the branding all the marketing, that like kind that. of thing, all the staff training, right. but like, even when it comes to staff, like he runs the kitchen staff and I run all the rest of the staff. So we work together, but we're kind of running different sides. So we got to just check in with each other as opposed to maybe like stepping on each right, other's right. toes or <laughs> that's probably, yeah, yeah. Cause they, you know, couples working together tend not to go so well, like about 70% of the time. So. Yeah. No, it's really oh. funny because I always come through the front door and he always comes through the kitchen and people okay. kind of joke we like pokeroo kind of like it's just like <laughs> you guys never come in from the same spot like it's like you're the same person like do you just switch into each other? It's hilarious. <laughs> were you so you were working together at the rabbit hole? Yeah. And were you able to take anything from that experience and apply it to to salty? 
Yeah, well, I mean, we had come wanting to open a similar style. We just couldn't find a space that would allow for like the studios and the cafe. Like I still have been running design work this whole time. Uh, So the rabbit hole was amazing because it was, you know, half studio spaces and boardroom, like just space to work. And then the other part of the business was the coffee shop. And that really worked really well with us also because I would run that side and Ray would run not the cafe, but the food. And so again, like there was enough of a divide. Was it separated? I just don't Uh, know the space in in Australia there. Well, so I actually, we had two. The first one I opened, you would walk in and the whole front of the shop was a coffee shop, like a public space coffee shop. And then the whole back was like beyond the coffee shop was like hot desks and like a kind of private boardroom you could rent out for meetings or interviews just to get out of the office or for people that work at home and we would Mm. kind of cater it and it was like a glass divide so everyone that was working could still see into the cafe but they kind of had their own space so you kind of feel like you're part of what I love like kind of the energy of being out and about when you're working but still have like a dedicated workspace that's like professional and And then the second space we opened we got kind of upgraded and we had the cafe and then to the left and right we had dedicated full-time studios and um, a boardroom and then across the street we actually had like a suite of studios so the people there could come across the street to use the cafe but awesome it was like a symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. between the two spots very cool. Mm-hmm. Yvonne's manages Seedworks, which it's is co-working uh, space. co-working space. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, another uh, similarity, but yeah, yeah, it's it's you know tricky right now, obviously, but yes. it, it was thriving and packed as well before the pandemic hit. But I've always had this fantasy about it that it needs that. It needs a cafe. It sort of has that kind of vibe. Don't you think, Matt? That's where I met Matt. I think he was it's a, it's like hot desk <laughs> It's pretty. So the the building itself is beautiful. It's got a huge open open concept upstairs. But I I always imagine the the bottom being like a little restaurant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. we loved it. The model has. Uh, there's been a lot of other ones that have opened in Brisbane since. Um, were you the first or? We were the first. And the funny thing is I actually didn't know what co-working was at the time. This all came about because (laughs) like I am from Canada and North America and like, you know, we do have a bit of a like work in coffee shops culture here. Like it is like the Mm -hmm. cafes. I remember, you know, back in uni, like there's more of avenues to kind of go study at a cafe and do that sort of thing. Whereas in Brisbane, especially uh, with the specialty coffee scene, I was describing no one was working in cafes at the time. Uh, it wasn't for that cafes really? were to like okay. go catch up, have meetings, but like there was no like laptops on tables anywhere or anything like that. Cafes didn't have internet. Uh, it wasn't set up for that. It was set up to go to the cafe a lot of people go in before work and sit down and have a coffee. And then, you know, it's just like part of your day, but not somewhere to sit all day and work. So rapid turnaround, kind of go grab your coffee, have a quick chat. Yeah. And it wasn't even really like large, like it was, they were always, there were just places to take that pause in the day, you know, whether it's before work or during work or after work Mm. to like go in and sit down and have the coffee either with a work peer on your own 
and then go back to work or go on with your day. It wasn't to, yeah, sit or sit and do work all day. And at the time, yeah, I was wanting to leave advertising and go freelance, but not like I, I like co-working. Not, I didn't know what co-working was at the time, but I, I get pretty stifled just being home alone by myself. Like I do like having just people around, whether it's in a space that you share or kind of being out. So I just kind of like took the two things that I was really enjoying at the time, which was coffee shops and then wanting somewhere to work. And basically it was like, well, if the front of my studio has a coffee shop and I have a studio, this is like the dream. Right. That's kind of where it came from. And we had, we were actually like a bit early too. It took a really long time for people to understand what co-working because we didn't even know it wasn't even a word then. Um, Hmm. to come kind of on board. It took like a full year for people to really kind of digest it. Do yeah. (laughs) Not still do, but like understand why that could be useful. And then yeah, it was pretty funny. We 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 were like quite the stir in Brisbane of like this cafe that has internet as (laughs) tables. Oh oh, like an internet cafe? No, like a cafe app. Yeah. (laughs) So people first look down on it? Were were people kind of angry at the concept? No, they didn't look what so there was a lot of learning. So I I was like young and eager and basically just had this vision of wanting to have this like I I've traveled a lot as well. So for me, coffee shops have always, always been a haven of like comfort. They're like accessible for everybody, like any age, kind of any price, most times of the day. And, you know, traveling, being able to stop and sit in a cafe and kind of feel safe and feel like you could go there like two or three days in a row and it felt familiar like went so far for me and then taking it the step further in Australia where the craftsmanship behind them and they were so beautiful and the, they were so, the people that ran them were so passionate that baristas were so skilled. Like I just fell in love with that. So yeah, I had it in my head that like, okay, well I, I'd love to have a cafe and then have my studio, have a space where I have a studio and can work, but then I have this cafe in the front, like I don't know where it came from, but that was just kind of like, this is what I feel like would be this perfect mix of my interests. Um, But this is all to say I had never run or worked in a cafe. I was working in restaurants at the time. I could honestly barely remember what any of the Aussie terms for anything were. Like I wasn't (laughs) by any means like making coffee, especially because it's so serious there. So the way we had originally run it was because, like I said, baristas are actually usually career baristas that are working towards having their own cafes. Oh, wow. I was like, if we set up a cafe, we can rent it. Like we set it up and pay for the setup and I set everything, like build it all. And then young barista can rent it for a year to practice kind of running their own shop and keep all the profits and sales. They just pay us rent and they run the cafe. And then I run the co-work space. And that was the model. And that's how we originally opened. So when we first opened, we were taken seriously because we had like at the time, like a really, really skilled barista running it as his business. Um, Hmm. and then I ran the co-work space, which was like mostly my studio and just kind of getting people on board to, to doing work. But the minute we lost our barista, um, he moved away 
I was left with a cafe that I didn't know how to use <laughs> and like basically had to like quickly learn how to run a cafe in like a couple weeks through the process of doing that just kind of fell in love with it. But that period we were not well received because our coffee was horrible because I didn't know what I was doing. And um, <laughs> it, yeah, it was a difficult transition. <laughs> Like, you adapted look at that we adapted still, we got it we got over yeah. it we had an amazing like our roaster came in and like trained us all over like christmas break and uh i had a girl that i hired that was helping me with the food this is before ray came on board and we were like but we're, she's not a cook and i'm not a barista plus i'm still trying to run the co-work space and do design projects and yeah there was a little period where it it was in shambles but like we got the foot in and move that's on. that's all that really counts i guess yeah well, you found a path through right you went through that ball yeah. in the yeah. middle so, of i mean the it's knot. a long way of saying uh we were well received initially because the coffee was great the concept was intriguing but people weren't like totally sure how to use it we actually then got a real influx of a lot of bigger businesses that would rent out the boardroom to do interviews or do brainstorming sessions and then we would cater and that kind of started ticking over and gave us the practice to kind of learn more bulk things and then yeah and then it went up it went up from there and it was it was great In the middle of each episode of How Now, we'll be featuring a musical artist. Here's Hamilton's Tripper and the Wild Things with Juno. You're coming up short, but so am I. Hasn't got my way in a long, long time. That's you in the corner. Been a long year, sad to myself.
That was Tripper and the Wild Things with Juno. Please support musicians and live industry workers. Check the show notes for this episode of How Now for details of hashtag support Canadian venues, hashtag save live events now, and other schemes which are trying to save the people who power live events so they can bring music, theatre, comedy, and all kinds of culture back when the show can go on again. Now back to the How Now interview with Dahlia Ishak. That Monday, like that one Monday is the day that I made totes together. And like, I actually wasn't thinking of anything else except like, I don't even know. I went into this weird, maybe processing like trance of just like, maybe not knowing what else to do and like not being able to process all the impacts. All I just like was thinking was like, everything's going to be shut. Um, the original thoughts came from the fact that we had just opened a bar with some partners and I knew with our bar, uh, closing, we were in so much debt and we had nothing to sell, like, cause you couldn't sell alcohol, um, at that time. And I was like, we're not going to make rent. Like we literally don't have anything that we can sell to anybody while we're shut. And we're like drowning in debt. We have to pay rent. Uh, plus we have the cafe that's shut. So at the time, I, my first thought was like, we can sell merch. Right. And that's when I had the idea of, oh, actually, there's probably so many people that just don't have anything or the means to sell something quickly. And all I was thinking really initially was getting through the first month, like that first month's rent. I didn't think at the time it was going to be a, a thing. I was literally just, my only thought was like, what is something that we're allowed to sell right away that's gonna cover rent like the bar didn't have a kitchen we couldn't sell food we can sell alcohol we have to like pay a huge amount of money in like 15 days like where is that going to come from and then saw everybody closing and just thought oh like there's so many places that just like don't have the means to make merch or even with merch, like the more merch you sell, kind of the cheaper it gets. So the more everybody can earn, like we had been trying to have merch at Salty for like three years and I never could commit to making the minimum order because it was too expensive, even though we wanted it. Cause you know, it just, you either need to buy so much of it, which is still a big order to make it cost effective. So we just never did. And I was like, so many other small businesses are probably in that position. So if we can all sell the merch and drive all the numbers down and everyone just keeps the sales, it actually just helps everybody. And that's like all I thought of that day. And then I launched totes together on that Monday. And then I honestly couldn't think of anything other than totes for the next two weeks because it was so much work to manage. Like the onslaught of how much it exploded like I was working like 12 hour days every day. That's like, we ended up having Holy to smokes. close it because we obviously we realized the pandemic would go longer and those sales weren't going to be enough to be like a long-term solution for anybody, but they were good to like get everybody over that initial hump and provide even just that sense of support for that very scary initial period. But those first two weeks, actually- like I, pardon yeah, I couldn't think I, I, I was working yeah. around the clock. Like it was like, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is, it was a lot. Be managing everything, doing it all, managing. I don't know exactly and where the, all the design was. It's like a, it was like a blackout of just oh, all man. consumed by totes together. And then even after, for months and months after, just trying to like, 
pack them all and we did it all ourselves and try to deliver them all and try to answer the like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails we're getting. And it's just me like basically answering emails all day, trying to like be there for every single customer, answer every question. I had to like manually pay every shop like out of my bank account with e-transfers. It was like so much to manage that um, that took up all of my focus. Like I couldn't even think of anything else. So I didn't have time to really worry about whatever else was happening. It was a blessing then in in disguise, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, honestly, I think it was. Like, it gave a sense of purpose. Like, I had a way to try to be helping. Um, It did, like, get to a point where, like, it wasn't really helping anymore. And that's why we we closed Mm -hmm. it, just to be clear and fair and safe for everybody. You know, just trying to, like, manage, like, people wanting to sign up and then realizing it's too late and they're not going to get very much. Like, there's some places that you know, cause of how it all happened and like signing up too late and the, the, the program kind of fizzling, like they're not going to get enough for it to be of any benefit. Like we still sent the money, but like, you know, $40 or $50 isn't going to do anything yeah. for the yeah. amount of work. Yeah. <laughs> so how long did it run for altogether? For two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, it ran for two weeks and then I worked on it for like the next three or four months, like in terms of still managing emails, paying everybody, like making sure we had everything accounted for, then answering everybody's like orders, questions, then packing them all, then delivering them all, all of, all of that. All <laughs> yeah. of it, all of it yourself. <laughs> yeah. You might as well just have actually printed them, gone down to the print studio and printed yeah. them all. The time I, I mean, I, I honestly yeah. didn't think any, like I didn't think it was going to be any, like I thought it would be like a fun little thing that we would sell, you know, hopefully enough to like help with the rent a little bit and help a few other places. And that's all we were really going for. It definitely was well received but I mean I think that that's so special too it was nice to be part of that all of that energy that you put into it was that was you showing that you really felt for everybody and they felt that you know you you did help like and you couldn't generate huge amounts for them but you genuinely helped and you channeled your energies I mean even though you exhausted yourself in the process it's just it's a it's a fabulous idea so that 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 kind of answers because I was reading the article about it in the spec and that it was 40,000 in two weeks or something yeah. and then you passed like half of that on to yeah. businesses and and the rest had to just cover the costs I'm sure yeah so we ended up paying like about 20 close to 25,000 out and then the rest of the money like paid for all the printing. So it's not like there was any other money or anything. And we actually didn't charge enough for the mail, which was like a big problem, which is why we ended up having to mail it ourselves. Cause I couldn't afford to mail it. Cause we had already given all the money away. Uh, oh man. <laughs> so like we couldn't yeah. afford Canada post. So we just had like, <sighs> These drive around and deliver like, everything. Ray was, Ray was making these like regional maps for like, you know, we the we hand mailed, uh, I don't know, like four four or four hundred beds, each with like their own maps. And finally, by the end, I actually like we couldn't do it anymore, and I I'm paid to mail out like I personally out of pocket paid to mail out about another like two hundred through the mail because it was just taking way too much Jeez. time and people were also yeah. getting upset 
uh, because it was just taking so long. We couldn't really go any faster. <laughs> just the two of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, no wonder you had to close it. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems such a shame. It seems like if only there could have been like a lump of money arrive to let you, you know, grow it or hire well, I, somebody. Yeah, to I, think it's, or... I think it's a really strong model. And I've actually seen a few different versions of it turn up um, in terms of like a model where, and I would like to actually restart it once I have just a bit of capacity to, but yeah, a model where just this shared like shop, um, works really well. It works really well. Like there's a lot, I know personally, even being like in a position where we probably could afford it with Salty, just being nervous to make that investment for something like merch up front with those costs yeah. and volume numbers, but with a model like this, basically all shops can have merch and you could even set it up where they had like specific ones assigned to every shop. So it's like less confusing, like where we could custom make uh, products for the shop that gets sold through this, through our, through our shop and they, they take the sales and it's kind of all managed. And it would be like a really fun creative exercise. So it does work really well. Like I think it's a really fun and interesting model that I probably would continue one day. Uh, the reason yeah, it didn't work so well for us is just because we didn't know enough, but like we've learned so much. I've found like where the holes were with like knowing about shipping now, knowing which programs to use, knowing even like, yeah, just how to streamline it to actually make it work a lot better. Yeah. 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 It's good. It just sounds fabulous. I mean, we, um, one of the other podcast episodes we've done is about the live, uh, entertainment sector and just how decimated that's yeah, been. Exactly. You know, the venues, the bands, exactly. the, everybody. Yeah. It, it's just, I could see it rolling and rolling. I could see you doing totes together, teas together, yeah. you know, yeah. like you could do it on, like you said, right. your thought went to merch. And I just thought that is just such a genius. You can tell you're a marketer, like that your brain just went, what's the solution? You yeah. know, where does the money stream come from? And Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky at the time because I had all that spare artwork from like old projects and stuff. So I was able to like put it together quickly. And that was just like a blessing from my background that I just had scrap art available. Like I had ownership of, um, but I think like, you know, I've always, always loved merch and like, I've always wanted to make merch, but have never been able to afford it. So even to just be able to do that and yeah, like create merch for places and sell it through a shop like that, where they don't have to worry about it. I think it's very cool. So Definitely like one last thing for uh, businesses or artists. Like I work with musicians and they don't sell most of their merch because the, yeah. the orders have to be too, too big. Right. Exactly. Same things with vinyl. It's, it's yeah. unrealistic. You have a thousand records or, you know, and you sell maybe 200 to your friends exactly. and your fans and you're, you're left with boxes. Like, totally. And there's like the waste aspect as well. Like what mm -hmm. I loved about our, our model is like, you're only printing to order. So like, there's no, everything's been bought and you know, you're not sitting on these large yeah. volumes of product. So like mm -hmm. I have looked into it for the future for ways to print on demand, like on a weekly cycle and like how to integrate the mail and figure it all out so that, yeah. So that we could effectively be selling like weekly print on demand orders of merch for other industries, for other shops, for anyone really that just wants an avenue to sell, mm -hmm. but doesn't want to manage it all. Cause there is like a lot of, 
Yeah. Like you have to, and especially for some small shops, like some small shops don't have access to people that can design stuff for them or right. that don't yeah. want to manage yeah. like all the customer, whatever. Um, I'm just and, figuring out how to find a printer and how yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Like that was all stuff I could do buy. quickly because I've had that experience, but I know like oh, so many businesses don't have that available. And that's why we did include all the businesses because like that was my first instinct was like, oh, this would be a really easy solution for us. Like that's probably a solution for a lot of places, but they don't know how to put it up right away, you know? And right. they maybe also don't have merch to sell. Like that was the problem too. Like we didn't have merch to sell. And then, so we really just felt like completely crippled. Like we have nothing to sell and we're closed. Yeah, what do you, what do, you yeah. do in an online setting when, you know, the physical community is stripped away? Yeah. I was curious if you've, found any interesting stories along the way during this pandemic of maybe that stem from this experience with totes together or, or something else that, that was intriguing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I mean, in terms of totes together, I've seen a lot of uh, similar models come up like press time did one that they were doing a bunch of bands and places in Toronto, but then our printers actually, carried totes together forward and started Careware, which is like a t-shirt uh, version uh, where they're, they were bringing on different artists as limited runs and all the proceeds were going to Canadian organizations of food or hospitals or frontline so that you could buy art and support an artist, but then also support, you know, one of these causes. So that was really cool. Yeah. So it's the sign of a good idea when somebody duplicates yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the our printers were wonderful. They approached us first and yeah, we were super happy that they were carrying it forward. And we have a lot of artist friends that have got to make shirts, which is great. So it's really cool to see. Um, I get frustrated sometimes only in that I want to, like, I would have loved to continue it, but being just me, yeah, um, you can I only get frustrated do so sometimes that I just don't have the resources to do what I would love to do. Mm. Um, and then obviously at the time we had to actually focus, we felt like it was important to consciously make sure the shops knew that, oh, this is going to last a long time and we need a, like a very sustainable solution outside of this. Uh, especially because I couldn't run it in a way that would be helpful just me. Like if I had a team, we probably could. Um, but to, for all the shops to focus on like, what can you now be doing as a long-term solution for your store? And that's yeah. where yeah. like we had to focus on the general store. And I did offer a lot of the stores like support to like help them either set up marketing or an online, a website or whatever they would need to try to start to think about what their store is going to be through an extended closure, because that's kind mm. of what the biggest wake up mm. call for us was, was that Toads Together was great and it would probably have continued to be great if I had more of a team to earn more, but it wasn't going to fix the problem of like a long-term closure. Well, that's and that's where going online comes in, right? Like you put yeah. salty, salty generals now, yeah. uh, like online products that you can have delivered, right? Is that? Yeah, I mean, at the time, um, at that time, all through the initial closures. So, like two weeks in, we opened this general store after Totes, and that was um, during that whole time we were continuing to order our produce for ourselves and our neighbors and people in Corktown, like our customers, a few customers, we were privately ordering 
our produce and meats and stuff from our suppliers for everybody so that they didn't have to go to the grocery stores because a lot of people were nervous about that or, you know, had kids Mm. at home or, um, you know, we just, we had access. So we were kind of doing that for ourselves and extending it forward to a few friends. So when we opened the general store, it was just basically taking that and making it public and offering produce. And basically like at the time, the first general store iteration was just produce, vegetables, dry goods, like anything that you would pick up from the grocery store to help people that didn't want to risk going to the grocery store who were struggling or just wanted to stay safe and stay home. And it ran really, really, really well. Like we actually were running like almost full capacity with the general store as opposed to like salty being open. Like it did really, really well. But then when they reopened everything, it kind of just completely stopped. Right. Just not needing it. And that's what it's been. It's been up and down the entire (laughs) seven. Yeah. Yeah. So like we were like, Oh, this is great. This is great. And then it like literally like in a week just stopped. And actually the interesting thing was uh, we thought it stopped because people were going to the grocery stores because like phase two or whatever phase it was when people could go back more comfortably, uh, we saw a huge decline. But when we talked to people, they said it was also because a lot of them were kind of going back to work or in different life situations Mm. where they couldn't be home to get their deliveries or come pick up during the day. And they were just on different schedules. So I didn't really expect that. But, you know, everyone was open again. And with the groceries closing, we thought maybe let's just reopen Salty for takeaway. But honestly, it's been so quiet and not at all like what we need to survive, uh, which is Mm -hmm. then why we've reopened the general store. But now we want to focus more on prepared dinners and sides and things you can put in the freezer and the fridge to hopefully allow Ray to be creative again and just that extra step more than just the groceries. But yeah, we're, we've only just reopened that. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. You guys are awesome for the way that you just keep rolling with the punches and just kind of (laughs) figuring out the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But uh, I'd love to get to meet you face to face sometime and uh, swap stories of being an eternal migrant. And that's it for today's episode. If you'd like to get more information about Dahlia or anything mentioned in this podcast, subscribe to our Substack on our website. And a reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and tell your friends so we can continue to bring amazing content your way. A big thanks to Dahlia, Neil Woodley for graphic design, Tyler Bershey for creating our theme, Tripper in the Wild Things for the music, and all of you for listening. You can follow us wherever you find your podcasts. Next episode airs February 3rd. Until next time, keep adapting.